Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. It's time for The Rant, a segment where we talk about anything and everything in sports. If you're not following me on social media yet, please do. At God is the handle for both Instagram and Twitter. Drop me a note and tell us what you'd like to hear us discuss uh, in the coming weeks on this show. But if you want to share your thoughts with us on the show today, send us a text at 963-11938. And joining me on the show today are Mark Lim, former sports journalist, and James Walton, sports business lead at Deloitte Southeast Asia. Gentlemen, welcome. Good morning. Morning, guys. Yeah, what a night of uh, football, wasn't it? Chelsea, I I wanted to just jump straight into it. Chelsea, they pulled off the upset of the 2021 UEFA Champions League final, beating Manchester City 1-0 in a tense, but I thought entertaining, all-English lineup there. But uh, the goal, of course, coming from Kai Havertz in the 42nd minute. Mark, I'll come to you first on this. Was it strange for you that Pep Guardiola didn't really start with Fernandinho, a ball-winning midfielder in the middle of the park, and he's been sensational this this season for them? Yeah, I think that was a crazy stat. I think that of the 60 matches that they, they played, they either uh, you know had Rodri or Fernandinho in 59 of those matches. So only one game this season uh, did, did Pep not, not feature holding midfielder. But then again, uh, I think he explained himself. I think he said he basically wanted to start with quality players. Uh, and I think after post-match as well, one of his first uh, uh, statements was, I played to win. So given the fact that uh, you know Chelsea, Guardiola has faced Tuchel uh, two, uh, two times in the last month or so, I think they lost uh, 1-0 in the FA Cup and then they also lost uh, 2-1 in the league. I think he was basically, and he, he filled it uh, holding midfielders as well. So I think maybe he, he just felt that you know he needed something different and uh, he, it was a roll of the dice. I mean, let's put it, put it this way. If he had won today, we would say it's a brilliant Guardiola masterstroke again. So I think it was just one of those things where he had, he, he was confident on, on gambling and trying to do something different, but it, it literally just backfired. Mm, James, uh, did, did you think he got his uh, tactics spot on? Yeah, I, I, I've got to say, I, I look at that lineup, I see what I see is a man who's obsessed with attacking midfielders finding a way to put six attacking midfielders in a lineup. Mm. And the way he does it is by getting rid of a holding mid and getting rid of a centre forward. I mean, short of short of playing one in the back four, I'm, I'm not sure where else you would you would put one. And and as a result, they they didn't manage to cover the spaces in front of the back four, um, and they didn't look incisive going forward. I, I think what he was he knew exactly what Chelsea were going to do in in terms of we all know that Chelsea played two holding mids, they'll play a back five. And that means that they've only got three attacking players, really, in terms of Havertz, Mount and, and Werner were really going to be the only three attacking players on the pitch. And I guess he figured that his back four could deal with that. And this will give him one extra player to try to move the ball faster and, and you know, shift through what was always going to be a, a tightly packed seven-man defensive unit for Chelsea. But um, on, on, again, exactly what Mark said, if it works, it's, it's genius. He's caught them by surprise. But Pep has a habit of overthinking these important games. And we've seen it so many times before where he adjusts to something to, to counter the opponents and doesn't get it right. But I, I'm, I wasn't just surprised about that one, though. I was also surprised about Canseo missing out, who's been one of the star performers of the entire season. And yes, he's rotated mm. with, with Walker and, and among the back line. But again, for me, in a one-off game, last game of the season, you've just got to put your best 11 on the pitch uh, and let them do the job, especially when you're playing the way Man City have, have been playing. Mm. You know, when you look at uh, the players overall, they were also dealt with a huge blow in the second half when uh, Kevin De Bruyne was forced out of the game with a head injury after colliding with uh, defender Antonio Rudiger. As soon as you take that kind of a quality player out, you'd start to wonder where the goals are going to come from, right, Mark? You know, yes, but then again, if you look at the first 45 minutes, the first half or so, I think De Bruyne hardly had a sniff. And, uh, you know, and, and most of the chances, uh, I think the best chance fell to to, to Sterling, who almost tried to backheel the, the ball into the net. But I think, I mean, it was, it was a strangely quiet game from De Bruyne. And uh, I'm not sure whether he even stayed on, whether he would, he would make a difference. Because, as you saw, uh, he, you know, he brought, he brought in Fernandinho, he brought in uh, Aguero and, and players to try and change the game. But while they had possession, they didn't really do much, you know. And I think, uh, you know, even if in the second half, uh, um, Chelsea had the better chances with uh, 
uh, Pulisic almost uh, adding a second. I think it was only in, with the almost very last kick of the game uh, that that uh, that that Chelsea came closest. Mm. Uh, sorry, that, uh, uh, that James, that we have came closest. Yeah, with uh, Rian Mares, of course, right, right at the end there. Um, James, we have to talk about Angolo Kante. You know what a player! Semi-finals, first leg, man of the match. Second semi-final, second leg, uh, man of the match. Final, man of the match. It, this this man can do no wrong. <laughs> What's it? The Chelsea fans say seventy percent of the earth is covered by water, and, and the other thirty percent is covered by Angolo Kante. I, I mean, it, you know what? What? At the beginning of the season, I, I'll put my hand up. You know, he, he had some injury problems and we were starting to write him off a little bit. We were saying, is he still the same player, you know? And, and, and he struggled at the beginning of the season. And then he's, he's just elevated. The last five, six months, he's become possibly the best player in England again. But credit also to Jorginho, who often alongside him kind of looks like the weak link and, and uh, you know, looks like just someone who shuffles the ball and takes penalties. But even Jorginho last night, look, that was his best game I've seen him play in, in, in a very long time. But, you know, the thing people miss with Kante is he is not just a destructive player. He doesn't just break up mm-hmm. play in the way that a lot of holding mids do. He's, he's the springboard as well to launch the, the counterattack. And more often than not, if you look, he'll be the player on the edge of the box following up on those on those counterattacks as, as well. So... I mean, what would Chelsea be be without him? He he really is just a, a phenomenal player. Yeah, you know, interesting you talk about Jorginho because he hasn't been called up uh, by Italy. Um, of course, he's Brazilian, but he plays for Italy. He hasn't been called up for the Euro squad. Maybe they might change their mind now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, N'Golo Kante, can we finally say that it's not the Makelele role anymore and it's the N'Golo Kante role? Mark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I absolutely agree because I think uh, one of the commentators is saying that he's the new Makelele, but he brings so much more than than Makelele. I mean, uh, Makelele was a superb holding player. He was a, basically a, a, a line in front of the of the back four that or the back three whenever they played that that really just uh, you know was just an indomitable force. But Kante basically he has so much skills in terms of attacking qualities as well. I think he was he's so comfortable on the ball. You know, he distributes the ball well. He he basically almost like a a mini De Bruyne in the sense that he, he he senses what's going on around him and brings players into into play. Uh, he draws fouls as well. I think as a, as you could see in the last few minutes of the game where he would he would hold the ball and and uh, and then basically you know uh, just to buy some time basically go down when the when the strikers touched him. So I think it's 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 he's he just brings so much different so much uh, to to the Chelsea game that I think he he, he just was really a stand up performer. But I mean if you're talking about heroes yesterday, I think. There were at least two or three others that really played well. I think Reese James really and, and uh, Chilwell on mm. the flanks really nullified, uh, you know, the the, the 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 front two. I mean, in the first five to ten minutes, it was uh, Man City that looked the more threatening. But I think Sterling found Reese James impossible to beat, and and, and likewise, uh, Chilwell was on the other side was launching attacks down 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 the left, and uh, and I think both of them really played amazingly well as well. Mm. All right, time for a break. When we come back, we have a look at English fans misbehaving in Portugal. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. This is The Rant, and joining me on the show today are Mark Lim and James Walton. If you've been listening to us, if you want to share your thoughts with us, send us a text at 963-11938. Gentlemen, just before we move on from the Champions League, I want to talk about the managers because... um, with Thomas Kukel winning yesterday, he joins the likes of Hansi Flick and Jurgen Klopp um, for the first time where European Cup and Champions League has been won by three in three consecutive years by three different managers of the same nationality. Um, James, what is it about these German coaches that uh, nowadays they, they seem to be invoked and they seem to be doing so well in, in these sort of competitions? I, I have to stand up for my country here and say it's not the first time. Because uh, late late nineteen. Oh yeah, that's right. Exactly. It's not the first time. Yeah, yeah. Go on. Go on. Tell us. Yeah. But recent history, Champions League. Yeah. I mean, look, Germany does does produce a lot of good managers. If you look at, um, you know, you look at that group that you've just named, and then you add on to that people like Julian Nagelsmann um, as as well. They 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 do have a good crop, and particularly recently, they seem to have a very good crop of managers. With you know this gag and press style and coming through at Dortmund and 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 Leipzig and and really working their way to the top, they're, they're seen right now. I would say German managers are seen as possibly the best tactical tacticians, whatever you want to call them, 
um, managers in the game. And, and however they're producing them, I wish England would produce the same and that we wouldn't have to rely on people like Gareth Southgate <laughs> and Sam Allardyce to manage the England team. But um, it'll be interesting to see uh, where, where Tuchel goes from, from here and takes Chelsea next season because he's, he's shown himself to be uh, very astute at how he sets Chelsea up and how he wins the big games. Um, but you do have to wonder whether teams will start to figure them out, as always happens, and whether over a, over a full league season, um, whether that defensive solidity can, can hold up. But all credit for, I mean, I've said it before, only Chelsea could sack their manager mid-season and win the Champions League because this is the second time they've done it now. <laughs> <laughs> and for the rest yeah, of exactly. them, just hoping for a slip of a trophy and sacking managers for sort of fun of it, it really makes us look bad, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They might know something that we don't know. But you know what, James? Uh, something that England has produced is football hooligans. That's for sure. It's something that you, maybe you'll not be proud of, but uh, the, export, that gripped yeah. the headlines. <laughs> you know, exactly. That got, uh, you know, caught my eye in the last couple of days because Chelsea and Man City fans started to brawl on the streets of Porto on the eve of uh, the Champions League final. Portuguese police were forced to break out brawling Chelsea and Manchester City football fans after fights broke out and second night in a row. Mark, like uh, James say, biggest export of uh, English football? Which, which is why I think when we were talking a couple of weeks ago about uh, whether or not the game should be in Porto, I said, should you just leave it to the English? I mean, since it's a, it's a, it's a pure English <laughs> final anyway, we just leave the problem at home. You know, why export it to another country? I mean, it, it just, as, as James mentioned the last time, I mean, you, you know, teams, uh, the fans would possibly have this only uh, less than 24-hour window to be in the city and they have to leave and all that. And, so why even bother having a having having uh, you know uh, the, the game being played out in England except for the the UEFA VIPs that wanted it? I, so I, I this is something that I didn't understand and uh, and and I mean it's 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 tough to to have confidence that you know that English fans can go to a a match and not ha- not create problems. It's just I don't know. I mean it's just whether they want to let their hair down or is it innate or. Uh, is this something that always happens, and uh, it's it's sad to see because I mean it's you know the the English fans and the English game bring so much to football that uh, that that inevitably this sometimes just gets uh, gets gets the headlines as you mentioned. Mm. The Portuguese government initially said English fans must fly only on the day of the match, stay in a bubble fly straight home after the game. But on Thursday, authorities dropped the requirement for fans to stay in a bubble and lifted restrictions. So the Portuguese actually got themselves to blame, right, James? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you invite us into our home, <laughs> it's your home and we trash your home, it's only your own fault, right? I mean, that's, uh, I think that's yeah, also exactly. the colonial mentality as well. I think it's been going for a long time. <laughs> oh, 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 let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, look, I mean, uh, first thing I would say, actually, you know, you know, having seen more of the news clippings, I, I don't want to be an apologist, but it wasn't—it wasn't a huge amount actually happened the last last day or two. It was just a few isolated little, you know, drunken idiots getting into a brawl amongst themselves. It wasn't turning on the locals or or running the streets or anything. And and when we say it happens every time, I mean, I was in Madrid for the final two years ago, and and there was not a a sniff of trouble between between Liverpool and 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 Spurs fans. But I do think the Portuguese government got something wrong. On this one, again, that's not to excuse the behavior of the fans, but when you suddenly announce on Thursday that the rules have changed and we're going to allow you to stay and we're going to allow you to go out and drink and do whatever you want to do and there's no bubble, because it also upset the locals as well, because the locals said they've been under a form of lockdown Mm. since January and suddenly two days before this final, you, you, you would allow these fans to behave like this. Portuguese fans have not been allowed to attend football matches, and yet here are English fans at a match in their stadium. They haven't been uh, able to do a lot of the things these fans are doing. Um, And it also upset them that a lot of the fans were not wearing masks, because in England right now, Mm. you don't have to wear masks, uh, but in in, in Portugal, you do have to, but the police were not enforcing this as well. So I, I think there was some bad judgment here in terms of once they had set the rules, they should have left the rules um, as they were, because apparently as soon as they released those rules uh, on Thursday, people started flying in who didn't have tickets on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. People were flying in mm. uh, just to be there, see if they could buy one last minute, get into the fan zones just to soak up the atmosphere. And invariably, it's those fans 
that are usually the ones that cause more trouble than the fans actually going to the games. Mm. Well, it's kind of expected, isn't it? Because everyone's been under lockdown and haven't been to a football match in a while. Why not as well? All right, time for a break. When we come back, we continue this conversation. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. This is The Rant and joining me in the show are Mark Lim and James Walton. Uh, gentlemen, moving on. The power on the internet means that you've probably seen the story of a Chinese football club owner who not only played himself but insisted that the coach played his uh, 126 kg son. You might have seen him more than once spread online. Um, her Shihua. He became the subject of worldwide criticism. Uh, but the story cannot be further than the truth because it's actually a, a different guy altogether. Uh, Mark, did you see and, see and read this one? Because it was, it was quite funny, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it looks like, um, uh, I mean, like, God bless his soul, but Maradona in his recent years, you know, playing at uh, the punch <laughs> and all that. Uh, but uh, it, 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 I mean, it was amazing to see, and 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 I, for one, almost got bought in, got, got uh, you know, bought into the whole thing. And until uh, I think it was you, Sasi, that pointed out that uh, it was it was mm. it was not entirely correct, uh, and uh, and it, it was actually a shareholder, a, pre, uh, a shareholder of the club that, for some strange reason, uh, played that game in 2019. Uh, but everybody was saying, oh, you know, it's ludicrous. Look at the, if you if you ever want to play in a professional league, all you have to do is get your dad to buy a football club. And there were memes going around and all that. And uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was surprising to see how how uh, how how this you know little piece of fake news could could, could spread so widely. Mm. Uh, James, do, do you think this is all done uh, with malicious intent, or it's just a bit of fun? You know, something almost like a meme. I mean. We're talking about this in a sporting context, but we see this every day in a non-sporting context as well these these days. Anybody who's in a family group chat knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you support it, and 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 you just you take one look at it and you go, "This can't be right." And it takes you five seconds to Google it and realize that it's not. But uh, you know, a lot of people they just they they forward stuff without thinking about it. And I think particularly in in this case where. It's not in, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that's out there is not in English language. It wouldn't really be news because it's a mm. second games in in China, and and you see it, and you see the TV footage, and and you could believe, looking at the TV footage with everything in Chinese, you could believe that this is actually, uh, you know, what what the story says it is. But um, I say it it just shows in this day and age how easily things can spread completely out of control. Um, and 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 things can go around the world in a, in an instant without any kind of fact checking. Yeah, and especially with the the pandemic, when you look at the stadium, no fans, so you can start to believe that yeah, this is really possible, right? Another story that was trending yesterday was about an overweight Chinese man completing a triathlon in three and a half hours. But he only completed one lap of the two-lap circuit, meaning that he actually finished five kilometers in 51 minutes, not in uh, 10 kilometers. Uh, Mark, you pointed out this one to me yesterday. It was quite funny, wasn't it? And the worst part is a lot of prominent figures and news um, outlets also carried that, like a human inspiration story. But they didn't do any fact-check behind this as well. Yeah, I think they, they needed Nicholas Fang to do a fact-checker segment on this. <laughs> uh, but but it's, it's, it's crazy because I think, I mean, like you said, it's not malicious because I think people just want to share uh, an amazing human feat and, uh, you know, and, and share in this uh, beauty of sport and how it can, it can uh, create miracles and all that. But again, if you, when you look at the video of that, of that guy who, who did, who did that, 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 uh, that triathlon, I mean, he was basically at, at walking pace. It was almost impossible for him to have completed a uh, 10 kilometer in, in under an hour. Uh, but again, when when uh, James pointed out that you know it, it's it's the the, the it, it's been almost a, a fad for for family members to share and all that, I think sometimes sports also lends itself to the 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 fact that uh, you know that we 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 tolerate fake news quite a bit. I mean, you just have to look at the transfer stories every year uh, mm. to realize that actually half of it is, is literally you know uh, BS, right? Uh, you know, you, you know that's yeah. never going to happen. You know that uh, you know Aguero is never going to sign for Everton, although we always hope that he would. Uh, but but yeah, we, <laughs> all these stories yeah, well, just, just just come out. So I think maybe with sports, I think the the tolerance for for these fake news and and just to 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 brush it aside, and even when it's revealed that it's fake, it's just a slap on the hand. 
um, I think maybe that culture is, is a bit more apparent. And uh, and I think it's, it's, it's especially with social media and especially with agents. Now, I, I'm just reading an article from The Atlantic that, that transfer season, uh, there's a lot of fake news going around because agents trying to and trying and, and, and propagate moves for their clients and all that. Uh, I think that's, that's something that has to be cracked down. And 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 and, and I think uh, you know fans and 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 those involved in football have to be a bit more discerning when it comes to uh, spreading these kind of stories. Yeah, it's an interesting take, isn't it, James? Because uh, agents can create this fake news, people can create this fake news. Just make it clickbaity and and stuff like that, because. I suppose there's a greater appetite for facts in sports less than, say, politics, right? Um, and fake sports news actually is easier to debunk because we, we see it very, and it's very easy to go out there and, and check it. And what do you think is the effects on this on sports? Do, do you think, I mean, you, you're a money guy. Do, do you think these things have a place in sports? I think a lot of this is what generates the money, right? This is why the people are doing it it's, it's like you said it's, it's, it's clickbait i can tell you for, for those of you that have never tried it there's a there's a site called news now and you can go to news now and you can type in anything the name of a football team and it will give you every news article that's out there that relates to that football team and of course 90 percent of it is just transfer speculation um and and when you see the headlines the headlines are very deliberate it doesn't say spurs are interested in um, Declan Rice or that Manchester City are interested in Harry Kane or anything like that. It says fans excited about link to 18-goal striker. And you kind of go, oh, <laughs> which striker is that, right? And then you, and then you click on it and, 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 and it's what it is. But, I mean, I, you and I come from a very different, different era, gentlemen, and, and I don't know what you had here in Singapore, but in the UK in the 1990s, we had a thing called Club Call, and it was a telephone line and you call up, and they charge you one pound per minute to tell you transfer speculation. <laughs> the telephone line at a time when one pound was was pretty much your weekly pocket money. I tell you right now. And again, it was all absolute. Yeah. It 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 sells newspapers in the online era. It brings people to your website, which equals traffic, which equals reasons I can sell my stuff that my website is successful. So I, I don't think it's going mm. away anytime soon. And I mean, and I think with, <laughs> right. with, with, with with social media as well, I think it's it's very quick to you know a, a brutish statement by a, a superstar or a, a, a you know a non-committal uh, or a bad picture or a picture of some of, of me of, of a player you know celebrating a, a win from another club. I think all that gets gets uh, reported as well. So I think that also fuels some of the the uncertainty and maybe you know to, uh, mm. uh, uh, some of the the BS stories that are going going out there so yeah it's it's it's, uh, it's i mean it, it, unfortunately it's what society uh, deems is interesting and i think these people are just feeding mm. the the frenzy yeah all right on that note let's go for another break when we come back we talk about the lions Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. This is The Rant and joining me on the show are Mark Lim, former sports journalist, and James Walton, sports business lead at Deloitte, Southeast Asia. Gentlemen, I want to talk about the Lions. Uh, there was an international friendly that the Lions played last night against Afghanistan. Uh, Gabriel Kirk, he got a goal for the Lions in the 40th minute, but they could not hang on to the lead. The game finished 1-1. I was just looking for the lineup. I saw a picture and it did look as though Ilhan Fandi of Young Lions, he started for the Lions and just 16 minutes ago, uh, FAS just released a press release on uh, Twitter and they were just giving some thoughts after the game and yeah, actually the coach, uh, Tatsuma Yoshida, his thoughts. Um, James, I'll come to you. Good good result, 1-1 for the Lions against Afghanistan? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's only a friendly, so, so as always, we have to take friendlies with a pinch of salt, but Afghanistan are, are, are ranked significantly higher than, than, than Singapore these days. Um, so from what I've heard of the game, unfortunately, we haven't had a chance to see a lot of it yet. The, 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 the team played quite well and they were winning all the way into second half injury time. So hopefully, although it'll be disappointing for them not to have seen it out and won the game, um, hopefully they're happy with their performance and a couple of big games coming up, right? Palestine, uh, Uzbekistan, Saudi Arabia in the, in the next couple of days. If they can... If they can win one, draw one of those games, they'll be in a decent position. Mm. Mark, I didn't really want to talk about this, but you know, just before this game, they're going into this competition. But yesterday, there was a news on the internet that broke that uh, 
the, the Lions players, the website wasn't updated. The players were all, you know, the images were all left blank. You know, it, these are the things that it's, it's basic, isn't it? I mean, as from a from a media standpoint, yeah. I mean, it's you know, uh, I remember when uh, Japan came to play in Singapore uh, a couple of years ago, when uh, you know all the stars were here, and obviously everybody focused on the stars, but there were obviously players with the unknowns uh, that, that not many people could know about, or, or even the media, you struggle to find information uh, on on these guys apart from you know like Nakata and all that. And uh, what the Japanese uh, liaison officer did was basically hand out uh, little booklets on on the players and translation in English, who the players were, and all that. And I, I mean, I think that's the the level that that the FA should aspire to be, uh, you know. Uh, and 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 I mean, again, yeah, it, it's it's uh, you, you don't want to rain on on their parade just b- before crucial matches and all that, but. It, it doesn't look good, uh, you know, especially when you had blank out pictures and then next uh, they, they, they recovered slightly, but to put then club pictures uh, alongside the, national, the players that had the national jerseys on, uh, it, it, it just made it worse. So I'm not, I'm not sure whether uh, the recovery, pro- the, 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 the decision to recover from that uh, was, was, was a good one because I think in, in general, it just made it look a lot more sloppy. Um, and, and I think that's something that uh, hopefully the affairs can can get it right. Mm. You know, uh, James, I want to talk about uh, these sort of things, especially, you know, if you want to win fans over, you need to be giving information. I was looking for information. I was texting some other uh, colleagues in the media as well and saying, hey, do you know if the match is being shown? Is it, you know, you look at the players, but it, it's kind of things like this that really give you, you know, you start thinking and say, are they being serious here, really? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, if 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 it's never a good idea to give people a stick to beat you with when they want to beat you, right? Um, so, and there yeah. are there are a lot of fans out there and a lot of people in Singapore who who for for historical reasons and to some extent present reasons as well have certain feelings about about Faz. Um, and we'll look for any opportunity to, to to point to the fact that Faz is not is not doing what they should be doing, and and little things like this, and they are, they're little things, but it will resonate. I guarantee you, three years from now, something will happen, and someone will will bring this up um, mm. as, as evidence that uh, that they're not doing what they need to be doing. But we we do also need to recognise that Faz has limited resources, limited staffing. Um, I, I noticed Yazin, the general secretary, on one thread, he said, you know, he, he stood up, he put his hand up and he said, it's not acceptable. He said, no matter what the reasons and that there is a reason that he didn't go into, it's not acceptable and they'll, they'll take this on board, they'll deal with it. And, and to me, that's the most important thing right now. And, and what I do like about the some of the people in the current fast structure is they put their hand up and then they say it's not good enough and we'll deal with it. So hopefully it's a a, a little bit of a... A little bit of a slap on the wrist, but a lesson that will be learned from, and and uh, and doing the little things right will get you a long way. Mm. You know, you're right there. I think um, I was, you know, reading that thread from Yazin Buhari as well. I thought, you know, that's good. Put up your hands. Hey, you made a mistake, and 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 move on. But uh, Mark, let's be honest. Is it really hard to do this? Sorry, say that again. Yeah, I said, is this really hard to do? Just take a couple of photos of the players and put it on on site. Is that really <laughs> yeah, hard to do? Uh, okay, so I mean, it, it, it isn't given the fact that you know the, the announcements were made about two weeks ago, and uh, and you know it, it, this isn't like uh, like Timbuktu where players are all across different regions and it's hard to get them assembled. So, and then you know, and it probably just takes an, an afternoon, you know, all the players coming in all dressed up in their jerseys, just get a headshot and and that's it. So. Uh, I assume again, it's you know they have their reasons, and and uh, let's maybe we can get Yasin on the show and 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 hear his thoughts, and especially hopefully the Lions can also mm. do quite well in the qualifiers, and uh, you know, and and we can talk about more than this. This, but I think with, with the whole Anisha Raw project, as you as mentioned, I think the 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 public um, uh, you know is is unfairly or overly critical of of the, of, uh, of 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 this whole project and the team. And uh, and 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 there'll be pressure to 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 perform on on like on and off the field. So I think uh, FAS has to realize this. I think the whole project has to realize this. And 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 if you wanted to uh, to to buy to get buy-in from the crowd, from the from the public, and to get uh, them fully behind this project and and fully behind football in general, then uh, standards have to improve across the board and not just on the field. 
All right. Enough said about that one. Hopefully, if you guys are listening in, FAS, let's go fix this because we are behind you. And that's the reason why we are talking about it. Uh, moving on, um, another headlines that made the news this week was a UEFA to scrap away goals rule in European competitions after 56 years. Uh, what do you make of that, James? You in for that? Yeah, this 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 one is interesting because you know when I read this news, I, I I it's one of those rules that you just kind of accept and you accept the rationale for it. We were all brought up hearing that the reason we have this rule is because it makes teams be more attacking away from home. Because if they weren't, they would shut up shop away from home, um, and the games were quite boring. And that may have been the case in the 1960s when when you know English teams were traveling to Eastern Europe and very hostile places and everything else and and particularly where you had small teams going away from home to big teams. But it doesn't seem to have been the case more and more in recent years. And what was interesting was we were hearing in, in UEFA when they've been talking about this the last couple of days, they've been saying that this is something that coaches want, that coaches feel that the away goal, goal rule benefits the away, benefits uh, teams, certain teams too much away from home. And there's a lot of anachronisms in it as well around goals counting before or after extra time and the fact that you get the extra time leg at home um, and, and things like that. But I think for me, there was a, a couple of things that have caused this this year. The first one is that they saw how many games were played at neutral grounds in the last year mm. or two, and it's so different. I think the second thing was this season, we even had the, the really strange situation of games where one team was not allowed to play at home. And so you had one team playing a home leg at home and one team playing an away leg in a completely different country and with no fans. And yet that was still supposed to be their, their, their home leg. So that was a bit um, strange as well. But I think the best statement I heard on this whole thing was, was someone said that usually a goal is the difference between losing and drawing or drawing and winning. But an away goal can be the difference between losing and winning because it can take mm. you to a situation like we saw in the Champions League this season when Porto um, played Juventus. Um, and suddenly when you score a goal in extra time with, with five minutes to go, the other team now has to score two goals to get <laughs> to win. There's no penalties exactly. anymore. You have to score two goals in, in the last five minutes. And I think it's those kinds of things, as well as Man City somehow losing the Spurs and Spurs somehow beating Ajax a few years ago. I mean, as a Spurs fan, we would never have got to the Champions League final without away goals because we didn't win either, <laughs> of those, either of those ties. We drew with Man City, we drew with Ajax and got through on away goals both times. Um, and I guess they finally decided they want to have an outright winner. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. You know, Mark, like James said that, you know, it also, you know, creates that kind of a drama towards the end. Where do you sit on this? I mean, I, I still, I still kind of prefer the away goal rule because I, I really do believe that mm. uh, it forces the teams out to attack a bit more. And, uh, and and I think also it just creates the whole drama. I mean, yes, you know, if you score 2-2 two, two, and then the, the players, the team has to score uh, two goals in, in, the, in, the, in the next five minutes or ten minutes, I mean, it creates a hell of a finish. I mean, imagine if you they get one goal and then just missing it out, that one more goal to win. Uh, so I think it, it inherently brings a little bit more drama to it. But I can understand, given the fact that there's this uncertain future ahead of us, who knows whether uh, you know uh, clubs can even play matches in their home stadium or whether this pandemic will, will go away. I think it creates a whole problem, a whole lot of problems going forward in the next couple of years. And uh, maybe this is the more practical solution at the, uh, for now. Uh, I don't know whether it's a temporary one. Uh, uh, I, I hope it is. But personally, I prefer the drama that, was, that, that we all grew up in. Mm. All right, gentlemen. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And on the note, that's the end of the segment here. Thank you and uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Take care, guys. Take care, guys. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. Every week, I have an athlete or a sports personality in the hot seat to talk about their life and sports. This week, I have former Southeast Asia champion, the discus champion that is, James Wong on the show. Hi, James. How are you? Hey, hi. Thanks for inviting me to your show. You know what? Finally, I got you on my show. It's been uh, <laughs> months and months I've been trying to get you on my show. I know you're a busy man. Thank you for finally coming on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. been doing uh, a lot of things, so been busy quite lately, yeah. Can imagine. James, just before we carry on with the interview, I just want you to give a quick brief on what you've been up to since retiring from, of course, professional. You were a discus thrower, you were an athlete. Post your career, what you've been up to? 
Currently, I'm uh, uh, working in uh, ITE College West in the PE department, one of the section head there. So uh, basically, uh, back to education line, before I was at uh, Nanyang Poly, uh, handling the diploma in sports and wellness management program. So mm. most of time is in education. Yeah. Mm, nice one. Nice one. You know, one of the things that I do with my guest on on this show is to take them back in time. Uh, that's what I want to do. You know, let's go back to your childhood days. How was it like growing up in Singapore back then? What was it like being a kid, playing sport, going to school? And which area did you actually grow up in? I mean, it brings back uh, fond memories because uh, when I was young, it's mostly wild and free, free and easy, <laughs> la, you know, running kampong style and so on. So uh, it's been uh, dramatically changed, uh, as you can see now, the sports scene and so on. But uh, yeah, it was so much fun in the past. We just play and have fun. Even though we go to school, but we still, you know, jabot uh, class and still continue playing in school. Uh, we didn't really go out anywhere to play, but still continue hike somewhere in one of the school corner, backyard, and still continue playing sports. Yeah. What about primary school? You know, which primary school did you go to and what was your first sport, so to speak? Yeah, I, I, my primary school is a Labrador primary school. Mm. So uh, when I was, I think, about second, no, second, primary three, primary three or primary four, I started to pick up some sports uh, where I played uh, softball. I started mm. softball, a team sports in school when the teacher was quite on. So it was quite fun. Hit and run again and throw. So something is uh, 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 back to throwing element. So it was quite fun as well. Then from there, I proceed on uh, to uh, table tennis or basketball even in primary school level when your height is, is good. Uh, they will love, mm. love you to be on their team. Uh. So these are a few sports I play in primary school. You know, you're a big guy, right? And one of the media interviews I read while doing this research for this interview said that you played six different sports when you were young in, in second primary and secondary school. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You see, as you see, in primary school, I played uh, softball. I played uh, basketball and did a bit of table tennis, lah, just for fun. But then when I progressed to secondary school and I went to Pasir Panjang uh, Secondary School, which is just next door to Labrador, I played uh, soccer, mm. football, and then I played uh, volleyball. I continued play, playing uh, basketball as well. And then I also played uh, badminton. That's all for, for my school. Uh. It's just so many of them. Uh. <laughs> mm. You know, you're a big guy. You know, obviously, you would have probably made it in volleyball or basketball. Did you ever think of pursuing a sport like basketball or volleyball because of your physical attributes? Actually, to be frank, you uh, height has its advantage. Size also has an advantage uh, during this uh, time uh, when most of them are not that big. And you, you, when you play sports that require height element, everybody mm. thinks you're godly. <laughs> you're like, wow. <laughs> You can you can be the first one to rebound. You can smash the balls, you know, as high and come down thunder to the ground and so on. So quite quite of a lot of uh, interesting uh, observation, but I never really thought of going into it full time. It's just more playing and having fun with my friends and so on. It was not it was nothing nothing on the element like oh i want to be in a national team or i want to be representing singapore and so on it's just good old fun play and everybody just sweat it out and have fun you made your name through discus of course not just in singapore but the region when were you first introduced to the sport of discus uh when i first introduced was i was uh, way back in i believe sec 3 la, sec 3 mm. because uh, they had the school sports day Side one, side two, I didn't participate. And you are new, uh, side three onwards, and then the school sports day, then you have the white house, a uh, color house, right? You mm. have all this red house, green house, yellow house, whatever. So then, uh, yeah, then track, track and field is one of those uh, major, uh, major sports in uh, house games, uh, right? Mm. Uh, school sports day. So I can't run, I can't jump. So the only thing 
a controller. So they recruited me for the house uh, part to represent them because, hey, it's so big, I can throw. So, okay, <laughs> la, then I throw. La. So I went and throw in, in school. La. Apparently, don't know what is discussed. So like, okay, metal plate. Or they, they used to have there's a wood, la, last time wood. Okay, throw. La. Then you see, you you you, you stack three, you're a young guy, and then you see how the senior do it. And I say, oh, like that one. So I pick up and throw. La. You know, <laughs> so I throw. So without knowing throwing correct or wrong, we also don't know. It's how people throw like that. We also throw. So it seems like everybody is throwing wrong. <laughs> so everybody throw wrongly, I would say. But I end mm. up, I was uh, not 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 being the champion uh, because I don't know how to throw. Uh. So I end up, I think second, I think I believe. So mm. something interesting. Uh. Then my brother was uh, training uh, for the national school. Uh, at the Kalang practice train, and say, hey, there's a group of throwers in the, in the practice train, you know. Why, why don't you come down and train them? At least you know how to throw, right? And yeah. I say, ah, oh, yeah. I also never thought, like, I want to represent Singapore, right? And okay, now I'll give you a try, now. so go down there, like, sotong, like that. Then there's <laughs> this, yeah, you know, young, 15 years old, 14 plus, actually. So blur, blur, 15, go down there. And then you see, like, this JC pre-U student training, like, wow, very professional, you know. You're training with an American coach, like, I'm more there. I said, wow, hey. Then I just introduced myself, and then I said, oh, you can join the training. Uh. So, okay, later, then I throw, then I show him how to, how I do. Uh. Then, he, then he laughed, like, said, oh, okay, this is the wrong way. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, he taught me the right way. So, so I said, hey, well, after a few sessions, oh, like that one. Uh. <clears throat> then he started. To see that uh, fly further, ma. So anything yeah. that improvement you show, uh, you will want to try to uh, improve on some more. Uh. So after that, I, I hang in, hang there for about three months and I improved uh, quite a lot. Uh. So it, it from there it just uh, spurred me to continue to progress. Uh. On that note, let's go for a quick break. When we come back, we continue this conversation. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. I'm joined on the show by former National Discus Champion, James Wong. James, just before the break, we were talking about your early childhood and how you actually got introduced to the sport of uh, discus throwing. I want to talk about 1985. You were 16 years old then. You competed in the Merdeka Games. That was your first international event that you represented Singapore. Do you recall that day? Yeah, yeah. That was my first one, man. My... Because I just picked up the sports like probably a year ago because I started when I was uh, in 84. Then I, I started to, to throw quite well at, at the uh, smaller weight discuss. Uh. So mm. when, when, when we were training with the bigger guys uh, or the, the they start to introduce me to the bigger discus. So I also say, ah, yeah, just throw, like, whatever give me, I just throw. I also don't know what is this big or small, right? I thought yeah. uh, the bigger you are, you throw the bigger discus. Uh. The smaller, yeah, you throw the smaller discus uh, <laughs> because nobody really, really explained like there's a each category or you know or what lah. So you just throw lah. So from there, I, I I pick up the the two kilo. So end up, eh, not bad lah. I mean, didn't fly as far as the smaller one, but uh, can challenge the best at the moment uh, for adult discus lah. Mm. Right. So whoever is uh, currently the best down there. For uh, 15 years old, so I throw this. I say, hey, not bad. I can challenge. Mm. But I should, be have, I should have stick on my uh, age that time. Uh, but then it's just like probably we, we throw everything. Uh, there is. Uh, you throw open. Uh, you throw this age group, that age group. You just keep doing uh, funny things. Uh. So mm. end up being recommended uh, for the first Medica Games. So I was uh, quite excited because... Uh, my first time actually on the aeroplane. So <laughs> Where was this to? Fly, never fly there. Huh? To Brunei. Uh. <laughs> to Brunei. The Meteca okay. Games in Brunei, 1985. So yeah. it was like, wow, first eye opener. Young time, we only, the furthest I go is uh, to Patu Pahal. Only uh, take a bus. <laughs> uh, go. But it's the first time eye opener representing Singapore. Uh, make the red jacket, uh, make this suit, that suit. Uh, wow, give me your next track suit, everything. Wow, shock. Uh. So uh, first time flying is like wow, like that one aeroplane. So we fly there, like, We competed in the in the first Medeka game. It was a it was eye opener, 
You know, I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I came in uh, top three. I think it was because we are uh, fighting against the Southeast Asia region. I was just young gun. Eh? I was like, wow, wow, this girl can fly so far. Eh? Mm. You know, so it just enticed me further to, to keep on improving. Eh? You know, let's talk about the Sea Games. You know, you went on to win so many, I think 10 gold medals you've won in your career, but you needed about three Sea Games before you actually got your first gold medal. Why did you take three SEA Games to actually win a gold medal? Is it because the competition was strong or you're still getting into the sport of discus throwing? Why I can't win on my first SEA Game, I don't know. But all I can tell you is because, like I mentioned before, uh, discus got each category, right? Mm. If you are mm. this, this uh, old or this age category, you throw the lighter discus. So as you, as you move along, you say older, you get stronger, you progress to the open category which you throw the two kilo discus at the time mm. uh, at this time still before that the second lightest was 1.5 kilo which is uh, below 19 years old 17 years old you know you throw that that that, that smaller discus so uh, uh, naturally if you have just started younger you will not have much strength or much uh, in technical aspect of the of the event itself so you need time to develop to to become a better uh, senior thrower. Mm. But because I was quite big, as you mentioned, quite big and strong, I will not say I'm that strong, but my legs were quite good, quite strong. But uh, I managed to throw quite far when I was at the, at the young age. But that, that far is for uh, my own uh, assumption that I'm good at that time. Right, mm. because I I believe I throw I broke the national record at the age of uh, seventeen. Right, wow. The, national, mm. the first national record was about forty point zero seven meter. So at the young age, I broke broke it la. So I improved that, and I I managed to hold the under uh, nineteen, I believe, uh, or some junior record that. Uh, below uh, 20 years old that I the furthest I throw was 4798. So that was mm. the furthest two kilo discus thrown by a under 20 athlete. So which is quite good. But but at the time when you go to sea game, everybody was throwing quite far further than because they were much bigger athlete, more experienced, and still young. So that so that to say that our Singapore record is still not as good as the Southeast Asian record or the distance. So there's a still way to go. That's why when I first competed in 87 in my first uh, SEA game in Jakarta, so uh, I was hoping to win, of course, but then, wow, not, not, not easy. Uh. So I came in third. Uh. Let's talk about the 93 SEA Games. That edition was held in Singapore and that's where you won your first gold medal. Must have been special. Of course, in front of the home crowd. Yeah, it's, it's very special, especially host in Singapore. Uh, I had a few tries, as mentioned. 87 was a bronze medal. You know, then you go back, you work hard again, and you go try to improve. And then 89 went to the KL Games, and then I got second, right? So I was like, wow, okay, second uh, game this time. So next time, the third maybe will be a charm, lah. Correct. <laughs> 87, 89, the less so 91 Manila games. Maybe the third one will be a charm. But unfortunately, third one was not meant to be. <clears throat> I was placed fourth. <clears throat> so fourth for the distance and fourth for the hammer. Even though I trained very hard, but something just not clicking and people are still throwing further than me. So it's not, not, not uh, impressive at all at the time. So back to say, wow. Now back to 93, was Singapore, eh? home game, eh? cannot malu, eh? die, die, must even train much harder until I, I have to win, I cannot, three times I tried, no goal medal, fourth time and home game, ah? and it was very pressurizing because everybody was saying, hey, you know, ah, the last uh, gold medal won by anybody in try and few hours back in 83, no, 10 years, no, Singapore Athletic, uh, it's been a drop, no, no gold medal at all, we are depending on you, no. So it was very pressurizing. But at the same time, it's a, 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 a good thing to happen because 
you got your advantage, your home crowd with the people, you know, coming to support you and you, you know, aware what's, what's going to happen or what's happening around the area and so on. So it's, it's, it's a, I say a home court advantage, I call it. On that note, time for another break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about the 99 Sea Games where you broke the, the record. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. I'm joined on the show by James Wong, former Sea Games champion and record holder as well. James, I want to talk about the 1999 Sea Games in Brunei. You set the games record with a throw of 59.5 meters. That was amazing, wasn't it? That that throw and that record you set was a milestone in your career. Uh, yes, def- definitely, it was a big milestone for me because uh, at the time, it's not easy to find throwers who throw close to sixty meters in Asia per se. So I was at once at that year. I was ranked uh, top three in Asia, just ranking alone. Now. But that record was not my first record, actually. I broke it. I broke the the Sea Game record actually in '97, uh, two mm-hmm. years before in uh, Jakarta Games with a uh, 54, 54 meter, a eh, 52 meter plus. Sorry, yeah, 52 meter plus. So I did. I did uh, broke the record in Southeast Asian record in uh, Jakarta Games first, but it was not as far. But when I was training full time in Germany. I was putting a lot of effort to keep improving and so on. So in 99, uh, early in the season, or not say early in the season, but early in the year, in about April like this, I was throwing about 59, 87. That was a new national record in uh, Germany. So I was mm. in quite a good good form. Uh, but to hold it, to hold the form until, you know, coming back to Singapore and coming to a, uh, context of a stadium uh, is very difficult to throw as far again. So I was lucky, I was happy that I managed to pick again in good form to throw close to my PB. Uh. Hmm. Yeah, so that was a highlight of my, my career, actually. You know, you participated in 13 C games, you won 10 gold medals. You know, you make it sound so easy. And there were also rumors that said that you used to take the flight on the day of the of the event, you you would land, go and throw, collect your gold medal and fly on the same day. Is that true? Yeah, that's not rumor. That's true, actually. It was uh, <laughs> it was in uh, 2001 uh, KL Games. KL Games. Because my my daughter, Jessica, was going to pop up anytime soon in my wife's stomach. So I was very concerned. Should I go join the team? You know, stay there for two weeks and then come back. Then my wife will be alone, right? Because that time yeah. I don't have I don't have a mate. We don't have a mate, right? We just started out young family, and then she was alone. And she's a foreigner. If anything happened, uh, well, she also don't know what to do. Uh. The water, yeah. if the water bag burst, how? Uh, what? Who? Who? Who to call or where to get help? So she was still new to Singapore because we just got back. Uh, we just, you know, f- uh, fly back everything and settle down in in, in uh, Singapore, uh, probably end of '99. So everything was quite new to her. So I need to to be there, la. So I have to take the risk. Actually, it's a big risk for me because I never tried this before. It's not being cocky or what, just to fly there a day or to, uh, a few hours before actually and throw and then next day I fly back. It's not like a business trip, but it's something that I have <laughs> to have. Uh, calculated risk because I also don't know it will happen or not because from one side I have to look at my family uh, safety concern on the other side Alamak I have a nation uh, task to do right to fulfill mm. to defend my title and so on so actually I, I planned it out and, and I requested that um, but the day of the event actually I, I flew in I flew in on the day of the event but, so I know the event was in the evening I think it was 7 p.m. So I told I, I requested that I fly in about morning. Morning flight I come. So morning flight I landed, then I had I checked in, I had lunch, then I took a, a quick nap, right? Rest a little bit. And then about four or five o'clock, I go to the stadium. Right. Then I do my warm-up. I competed. And then I finish up my, my event with a fifth. 56.99, I think. 
mm. quite a credible uh, distance in an enclosed stadium. And then after that, did my doping control, finished everything by about close to midnight, reached the, the hotel and then sleep. And then next day, uh, after breakfast, I took the flight back home. So that was mm. the arrangement. Yeah, it's not a rumor. It's true, actually. It's true. <laughs> because, you know, when, you, when you, you make it sound so easy, like there are people that are champions and then there are champions who do it like how the way you did it. And when you look back at your career, right, because it spanned over about almost 30 years, isn't it? Yeah, and, yeah uh, that's right. Yeah. And you retired at, I think the year was 2013. Was yeah, it hard 15, to put yeah. behind a very successful career? Because people always remember you as the guy that was unbeatable for so many years. Yeah, actually, I, I, I wanted to retire a long time ago. Once I finished my peak, right? They always say, hey, retire when you're the best, huh? mm. right? Retire the top. People remember you if you're the, you the best already. Huh? Don't, don't retire when you're lousy. People will not remember you. But during the time you can see here in, in, in 93 onwards, I've been winning, right? Winning, winning. And I'm the only local local Singaporean who, who is winning. No other uh, Singaporeans are winning. We brought in some foreign talents. It becomes Singaporeans. So they come in and chip in some of the medal tally as well after I believe was uh, uh, 2001 onwards, right? Mm. 2001 onwards, they, they, they become citizens. They, they chip in the medal tally. But still, there's no other Singaporean uh, contributing to the medal, so I told myself, "Ah, yeah, continue la. So when I when I when I when I when I stopped my full time training overseas, I came back. I started working. So I was in an environment when I was also given some uh, time off to train. At the same time, I was working in sports council. The stadium was there. The the ring was there. Everything was there. I don't mm. have to go far away to travel. You know. Well, one hour, two hour journey to train and then come back. Everything was there. The gym was there. Everything was conducive enough for me to at least maintain my form and continue to, 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 to explore how much I can do. So from 2001 onwards, 2003, 2005, and then 2007, I stopped. Then 2009 and so on. I still believe that I can still do it, right? Maybe because mm. in 1999, I threw close to 60 meters. The rest of the guys were like close to 50 meters or only one guy above or a little bit closer to me, but then he quit. So the rest are quite fast. So I was I was uh, much uh, in a better position. Even though I'm on a downtrend, I still try to maintain and let this guy try to come and catch up with me. You know, mm. so it was, it was, it was. It was uh, sitting on quite well. I mean, I, I managed to hang on uh, quite quite a few years in the scene and still win. So I was lucky, But it's not it's not easy, like like, like everyone think. Ah, wow, tango medal, wow, nap shot, ah, you sure win every two steers. No, it's not like this, ah. Every every session, training session is is stress and so on. So it's a lot of things going on. Mm. Can't be just easy to win. Exactly. It's not that easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. All right, yeah. time for another break. When we come back, we continue this conversation. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. I'm joined on the show by former discus champion, James Wong. James, I want to talk about retirement, post-retirement. Are there any regrets? Because you did not actually get to the Olympics. In, is there a reason why you, I mean, you're so prominent and so dominant in this part of the world. Why didn't you actually make it to the Olympics? When, well, for track and field or for time-based or distance-based uh, events, there's actually a qualifying standard uh, for, for, for the sports. So for the qualifying standard, I'm still uh, not really that close within the range. Uh, but mm. we still have uh, athletes uh, from track and field representing Singapore, especially sprinters, when uh, to go to the Olympics because uh, each country are given wild card entries uh, mm. to to be nominated. Uh. Actually, in way back in nineteen ninety six, uh, I was nominated together with uh, Wong Yutong, Hai Jam, and Yvonne Denson for marathon to be the Olympics Singapore Olympic squad to mm. Atlanta Games in 1996. But because they were, we were not, we were not 
the main qualifier. So at the last moment, uh, SNOC informed that oh, only two can be selected, uh, male or female. So the association decided to drop me instead. Then Yutong and Yvonne Benson went to the Olympics in Atlanta as a wild card. So that's why I was not able to do it. But I also managed to compete uh, managed to compete at three uh, world championships. Uh, in mm. one in 91 in Tokyo and 93 in Stuttgart and 95 in uh, Gothenburg. So it's uh, still uh, pretty close or uh, world-class Olympic standard. I see the same athletes competed in Olympics, also competing in, in the World Championship. So it's not uh, zero for me in, in, in terms of experience of world-class level, but still mm. I managed to have a few my, myself uh, between my own uh, result and the rest of the world. I still mm. uh, feel there's a gap. Talking about that, though you didn't go to the Olympics or whatever, but you had another special moment because you were selected as the chef de mission for Team Singapore in 2010 when we hosted the first ever Youth Olympic Games. What did that honour mean to you? It was a tremendous uh, recognition to honour any athletes uh, to be the chef de mission, to be the leader of the team. right? So I was very surprised as well because uh, I was not been to the Olympics. But when SNOC, Chris Chan contact, called me and said, hey, James, we have nominated you for the, to be the chef de mission for our first uh, 2010 Youth Olympic Games in Singapore. I said, huh, really? Uh? Serious? Uh? Wow, it was a big shock at, the, at that time. Uh, but I, I mean, I have to take it in stride because I believe they see something in me to be a mm. sports leader. So to lead the team and maybe to share some of my experience as well to the youth uh, athletes uh, of, the, of the Singapore hopefully to inspire them uh, to become better uh, at least as they progress on to, to senior level and so on. So I was, it was a big honour and a big uh, surprise as well, but I, I think I did my, my role well. I've always had this question. Why isn't there another James Wong in Singapore now? I think I always, uh, before me, I also don't know who is the role model or any athlete that I can look up to 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 help me to become better. So, uh, will there be a James Wong? I think there will be, but not necessarily just throwing. can be any other event. Like now you see Shanti, right? And you mm. see, see uh, uh, other events also. <clears throat> some of the athletes are also not bad. It's just that some of the events, other countries are improving already. We're still doing catch-up. So, there will be eventually one day, one fine day, someone of this caliber will come up and be a world beater. It's just a matter of time. Uh, which, which event, male or female, I also don't know. But I am sure someone, somewhere, maybe listening to this conversation, sparks them a uh, fire and ignite them and say, I want to be the one. Mm. So please be the one. Yeah, that's the reason why I do this show and that's the reason why I have legends like you on the show because so that you can inspire the next generation. Talking about inspiring the next generation, your son, Jordan, he is actually part of the volleyball national team here in Singapore. Yes, that's right. Fortunately, he did not pick up uh, discus. <laughs> sad to say. <laughs> Are you upset? But I tried, uh, no, no, I'm not upset. I tried to expose him to discus throwing when he was young. At the child, I maybe uh, eight, ten years old. You know, we, when I train, I bring him there. I go to the gym, I bring him there to inspire him, uh, to to have fun and to see what is training like under hot sun and so on. He did try a few discus. It's not bad. The form is there, but unfortunately, when he progressed to primary school, he started out because they don't have discus, ma. But he tried shot put, but not as good. He tried sprinting, not as good. So he, he pro progressed to uh, team sports volleyball in primary school and he, he enjoyed it with his friends. Then from there, he progressed to secondary school. He became bigger and taller and stronger. And then he was a much better player in, in secondary school. They were, he was the, one of the key players in his uh, Geylang Methodist uh, secondary. And they progressed quite well uh, together with him uh, contributing to the team success. 
And from there, he was uh, earmarked by the then the new American coach, Dr. Uh, Jensen, to join the national team. And from there, he learned quite a lot from him. Just like me, when I was young, I learned quite a lot from the American coach. And then he, in, in this sports of volleyball, he progressed quite very fast, actually. And then he was part of the 2019 SEA Games, and he was one of the youngest players there at the age of 16 in the volleyball team. So I was... We, we both me and my wife were very uh, grateful and that he was given this opportunity and we were very proud of him actually that he progressed to a sports that he likes that he loved to do and he's still uh, progressing yeah yeah that's special isn't it because you as a former national athlete then you see you know, your son representing the country that must be a really proud moment for for you as a father oh yeah definitely very proud because we were there as well uh, both me and my wife and my daughter we we actually flew to Philippines to support him, although he didn't play much, but he was the youngest. But we can see, I mean, the important thing is not whether you play or don't play unless the coach feel you, but the important thing is soaking the atmosphere, learn about the event, learn about the, the games, and learn how people are better than you, and talk to people, mingle around, talk to them, share ideas, learn from them how, how they are better than you. And from there, you bring it back and you, whether it sparks you or not, and you want to become better than them, then you have to work double or triple hard, harder than them, then you can be better than them. So I mm. think the idea is to open up his eyes, open up his horizon and, and tell and look, see for himself that, hey, I'm good in Singapore, but I'm still not as good as I thought I will be in Southeast Asia or Asia. So there's still more work to be done. So he needs to come back and work harder. James, just before I let you go, and this is the question I ask all my guests, what would you like to be remembered for? Well, it's a very tough question, actually. Actually, I, I, I never really put myself in the position to make people to remember me for what I have done. Actually, at the end of the day, I'm just a regular Joe who somehow pick up the discus and love to throw it as far as possible and love to train and love to sweat and 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 uh, luckily represented Singapore and was also best in the region and managed to be a record holder and and managed to win along the way some recognition and so on. So I think to remember to be remembered some somebody who enjoyed sports and 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 tried to explore to become the best of the, his ability. Uh, I think mm. that's the the place. Uh. Don't 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 remember me as a champion because there will be always another champion coming up. You will always well forget said. me one. Well you said. always forget well me one. Don't remember me, yeah. But remember me that I started the 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 role going Kennedy. <laughs> mm, very nice. On that note, thank you so much for your time and also thank you for your service to the country. You're a real legend and a and a superstar. And thanks for coming on my show. Thanks, thanks for inviting me. And you are a legend too, you know. You did well for Singapore. We also follow your soccer uh, journey as well. So we're also proud of you contributing back to Singapore in some Thank other so areas much. as well. Yeah. Thanks uh, for inviting Thank me. Thank you.